facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to the program on this Thursday, June 22nd. So glad you're with me. It's a great feast day today. I'll much more about that in just a second. But I want to give out the phone number to call, 888-914-9149. Toll free to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show, 888 888- 914-9149. Every, every time I say triple eight, I think of a, a wrestler, triple H, but that's that's something else entirely. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We have to do a lot of wrestling with God, don't we? And somebody who did wrestle with God and man and prevailed was Saint Thomas More, who shares this feast day with Saint John Fisher. One of the most inspiring saints of all time. The calendar is filled with great saints. There's no question about it. But for most of us who live in the middle of the world, uh, St. Thomas More really speaks to us. You can also email the program, kale, at relevantradio.com. It's a great place to send show ideas. You can join the ranks of the shadow producers. Hey, you know who sent me an article, Producer Jim? Father Rocky himself. CEO of Relevant Radio. He wanted to be a shadow producer of the Kale Clark Show, so he sent me a really cool article, which I will share with you later in the program, and I, I can't wait to get your guys' take on this. But I'll tell you what that is in a bit. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And, uh, yeah. But once again, that phone number to call, 888 So this is the feast day of St. Thomas More and also St. John Fisher, the heroic Bishop of Rochester. Uh, he deserves his own uh, segment as well, and, and we, we should do that sometime. But I do want to talk about St. Thomas More because he was a married man, a father, an excellent professional, Obviously a devoted Catholic, a martyr. I mean, this this guy is a total inspiration. Of course, he gave his life uh, during the reign of Henry VIII in England. St. Thomas More was the number two guy in all of England and all of the realm. And uh, he was beheaded uh, because Henry VIII, of course, uh, defected from Rome and uh, basically made England Protestant. They became Anglican. He set himself up, King Henry himself, uh, set himself as the head of the church in England, uh, above the Pope. Um, and you know, you know the story. It's, he, was, he was ticked off because uh, the Pope wouldn't uh, offer him an annulment uh, to his lawfully wedded wife, Catherine of Aragon. He wanted to marry his mistress, Anne Boleyn. You all know the story. And so his behavior uh, affected his beliefs. That does tend to happen with people. Their passions often overrule. And that's why they, quote-unquote, can't believe in the teachings of the church has nothing to do with the reasonableness thereof. But, but nonetheless, uh, oddly enough, before all this happened, uh, Henry was lauded by the Pope as a defender of the faith, because when Luther began the Protestant revolt, uh, he wrote a, a diatribe against him. And uh, that was a pretty good piece of work, actually. If only he had, he had stuck to it, if only he had believed it. And that, that, that happened with a friend of mine too, that he uh, left the church. He, he, he was in and out of the church a lot, but he, he wrote a lot of great apologetic books. I'm not going to say who it is, but uh, he's not really a friend. He's more of an acquaintance, but I, I did have dinner with him once, and a delightful guy. Um, he wrote some incredible defenses of the Catholic faith and then later on left the church. And the stuff he's writing now, I mean, he's demolished his own arguments in the past. But that's another story for another day. Uh, pray for that guy. 
the St. Thomas More. Now, just before the show, uh, producer Jim and I were talking about the movie A Man for All Seasons. And to my shame, and it's hopefully not to my everlasting shame because I can still watch this, I haven't seen the movie. And so I I think I probably lost a lot of uh, Catholic street cred right there. Uh, by not seeing it, but I know it's one of producer Jim's favorite films of all time. Came out in 1966, and who won Best Actor that year, Jim? Paul Schofield. Paul Schofield, who played St. Thomas More, right? Yep. And 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 it's it is filled with like speeches, and apparently the screenplay drew heavily from More's own words, his own speeches, and he's known. Obviously, St. Thomas More is known as a man for all seasons. And probably he's best known for that final season of his life uh, when he beheaded, uh, Henry VIII beheaded St. Thomas More in January of 1535. And I read a really interesting piece on this by uh, scripture scholar Kevin Parada. And um, he lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And he, and he wrote for the, um, uh, for the Catholic Education Center about uh, St. Thomas More. And he said, quote, Thomas's final stand of conscience was so heroic that it can overshadow much of what came before. But Thomas really was a man who followed Jesus through all the seasons of his life, including the seasons when he built a career, when he raised a family, when he rose to prominence in the political sphere. While there is much we can learn about him, sorry, while there's much we can learn from him about holding fast to our convictions in times of great stress, This great saint can also teach us about how to handle the common, ordinary seasons of our lives, end of quote. And probably the the word ordinary should be in in air quotes as well. Is there really ever such a thing as ordinary time or ordinary life? It's all extraordinary because it's all touched with the grandeur of God, even the the somewhat mundane. uh, It's pretty special, uh, the simplest things. And so... This is what really this article is about. We know the drama of, of Moore's final act, if you will, his heroic martyrdom. But, but the other stuff is also really, really important because he was, again, a great professional, a great husband, a great father, and, and just a great friend. His capacity for friendship was unbelievable. I, in fact, I was on, when I was on retreat a couple months ago, it was a silent retreat. And uh, during the mealtimes, you say, what do you do during mealtimes if it's a silent retreat? You just kind of sit around and try not to chew with your mouth open and make too much noise. Well, hopefully we don't do that. That wouldn't be very refined. But uh, what we did was we passed around a book, and we took turns reading it. Somebody would get up, read a couple paragraphs, and pass to the next guy, and then you know, you'd go back to your plate and keep eating. And, and so that's what we did during the mealtimes. We read, actually read a book about St. Thomas More. And we got through like 90% of the book during our mealtimes uh, during the retreat. It was called Thomas More, A Portrait of Courage by Dr. Gerard Wedgemer who teaches at the University of Dallas, and great book. I highly recommend it. I really, really enjoyed it. I, I got to get myself a copy of it, in fact, because I don't have a copy. Uh, but it's published by Scepter Publishers. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was really, really nice. And there are so many great, funny anecdotes about St. Thomas More. His sense of humor was unbelievable. I got a couple of his jokes, which I'll share with you in, in just a minute. But um, let me tell you about the beginning of his life. And, and Kevin Parada sort of mentions this, all this stuff in his article. Now, his dad was a lawyer. So he, he came by his trade as a lawyer somewhat naturally. It was a, I guess you could say it was the family business. And St. Thomas More's family was quite well off. He was born in 1478 in London. And Thomas really, young Thomas really, 
I'm not talking about young Thomas who, who screens calls for us here on Relevant Radio, but uh, young Thomas Moore, although he's a great guy too, uh, young Thomas Moore followed his dad into the legal profession because he respected the law. He really respected his dad, obviously, and, and he really felt that God was calling him to have a profession. He didn't feel that he was called to be a priest, uh, called to the religious life. He said, no, God wants me to serve him in the middle of the world. I mean, <laughs> 99.9% of us do that, right? So, um, and, and a biographer of, uh, of St. Thomas More by the name of Peter Ackroyd, who's the uh, brother of Dan. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, Peter Ackroyd says that Thomas More really had, uh, he, was, he was set up to be a legendary lawyer. He called him, quote, precise and shrewd, skillful yet detached, cautious as well as theatrical. Got to be a little bit theatrical when you're a lawyer, right? You got to thunder away at Kendrick, right? Like Daniel Caffey did in A Few Good Men. Persuasive and practical in equal measure, end of quote. And another thing that he was famous for, and I alluded to, uh, to this just a moment ago, was his great sense of humor and his cheerfulness. His cheerfulness. So he's the kind of guy, if you were kind of in a boring meeting at work or or you're in a class you know, in law school he'd be you'd want him sitting next to you he'd be texting you jokes memes and stuff like that. he's just a hilarious guy and uh and cheerfulness is really important you're going to see the cheerfulness of saint thomas more even extended to the gallows gallows humor i mean nothing could get this guy down ultimately and this it's such an important virtue to have and he had that in his work life, in his home life. And you probably heard it said that, you know, if mom's not happy, nobody's happy in the home. I think the same is true for dads as well. Because I think as dads, we really do set the tone. Maybe you'd agree or disagree. I don't know, 888 But if you're of ill humor, and, and it's something i got to watch at times, I, I have to make sure that I'm cheerful and, and make the choice to be actively cheerful. And again, the cheerfulness that we're looking for is not what St. Jose Maria Escrivá called the, the happiness of a contented animal, right? Okay, I'm well fed, I had dinner, you know, it was nice, uh, got a nice couch to sit on, going to watch the NBA draft tonight, got a place to sleep. Okay, we're not, we're not looking for just creature comforts, if you will. Uh, we're looking for supernatural cheerfulness, supernatural joy. We, we really have reason for that. No matter what the circumstances are externally, nothing should be able to steal our cheerfulness and joy. And some, it's something we have to work on. We have to make, make a choice. And that's what St. Thomas More did. That's what St. Thomas More did. But despite how externally successful he was on the outside, his, his external accomplishments, which were massive, by the way, it was really that interior life, his prayer life, his interior life with Christ. We have the show on Relevant Radio called The Inner Life. There's this interior castle that we've got to construct, right? And that interior castle was really important when he was in another structure called the Tower of London when he was waiting to be executed. He never would have been able to endure to the end without that interior life, without the, the certitude of his Catholic faith, because everybody was against him. Even members of his own family thought he was nuts for doing what he was doing. So let me tell you a little bit about St. Thomas More's family life. This is something that Parada talks about. Uh, St. Thomas More, when he was 26 years old, 
he married a 16-year-old gal. And at the time, that was somewhat common to, to marry somebody who was a little bit younger than you. Uh, and her name was Jane, and he, she was his first wife. And unfortunately, she died uh, only six years into their marriage. And they had four children by that point. And a lot of people, a lot of modern people read this, and they're kind of freaked out by this. St. Thomas More got married within a month after her funeral. Whoa, hang on here. Like, I mean, that seems way too quick. Uh, what's up with that? Well, that, that was actually not a big deal back, back in those days. I know that sounds a little bit like maybe he didn't give himself enough time to grieve. Uh, what's the story there? But the people would get, especially if they had large families, they very often there was a, there was some practicality involved in that, as, as uh, Parada says in his article. But it wasn't an unromantic marriage that he had with his second wife either. And, and his second wife was named Alice. And both wives were actually very, very beloved uh, by Thomas. And in fact, he, this is one of his jokes. Uh, he, he wrote down once in a, in a letter that he could imagine, you know what? The two women, my two wives, we actually could have all lived happily together Quote, if fortune and religion would have suffered it, end of quote. <laughs> if fortune and religion would have allowed it, we actually could have had it. He was kidding. He was kidding. Uh, so he is a saint, all right? So, uh, his, but, yeah, you know, he was, he was kidding, of course. He wouldn't have lived with two women at the same time. But, but that's the kind of humor that he had. It was, he, he was definitely a, a guy who was good for a laugh. And it was a very, very happy home that they had. And Alice was a great administrator. She was... And not only could she she really take care of of things on the home front, but they were very welcoming to other people as well. Four orphans uh, at various points lived with the Moore family. Uh, a widow who was destitute also moved in with them. Uh, in-laws, uh, guests who were traveling through London would all would very often stay at their home. And it was a bit of a circus, quite literally, because St. Thomas More actually had a pet monkey. I don't know if that's in the movie, Jim, but... Apparently, the monkey is portrayed in a family portrait of St. Thomas More. I have not seen this, but if you find it on the internet, you can tweet it at me, at Kale Clark. So, they had they had a very, you know, at times chaotic home in terms of everything that was going around. It was like a subway station, no doubt, like the London Underground with everybody coming and going. But but they they tried to keep a discipline and tried to keep the home as kind of a domestic church, if you will, a domestic monastery. They had morning prayer. They had evening prayer. Uh, they would read scripture uh, after dinner and talk about it. Maybe you just, and that's a good family practice to have, by the way, to, to read a bit of scripture, maybe the gospel of the day from mass or something like that. Talk about it with your kids. Um, that's what scripture says to do in the Old Testament. You know, bind these things on your hearts, you know, talk about them with your children. Never forget about what God has done for you. And so, Given the chaos of the home, St. Thomas More said, you know, you, you really should do this, though. He really recommended that if you're a busy person, and he was extremely busy, extremely busy, personally and professionally. He said, you've got to find a quiet place, quote, as far from noise and company as possible, end of quote, where you can just commune with God. And maybe for you, that means getting into your car and driving somewhere. Um, maybe that means trying to get to a, an empty church and just pray before the Blessed Sacrament. Good thing to do. This is, of course, Thursday, the day that Jesus established the Eucharist on Holy Thursday. So you've got to be with 
the well, that's one of the best places to do prayer. It's the best place to do prayer with our Lord in, in the Blessed Sacrament. He's present with you. And so he, he really did li- live that sort of plan of life and, and bound himself to his schedule. And how did, in fact, he had to go to great lengths to get some alone time with God. He got up at two o'clock in the morning to do his personal prayer. 2 a.m. Uh, now, keep in mind, he, he did um, go to bed at nine in the evening and he would apparently take a nap after lunch every day. Yeah, it's always fun if you can pull off, but uh, uh, not always possible. But so he did get he did get at least six hours. But but at night, you know, he probably only sleep for about five hours. Get up at two, pray. Then he would study. Then he would study, and that's something that it's a serious obligation for all of us to to try to learn more about our faith. And study essentially means reading, right? It means reading something. Maybe it's a good a good book about the faith. Um. You say, well, I don't like reading. I like listening to uh, audiobooks. Well, you can listen to podcasts. So the relevant radio shows are very good for that. You can learn something about your faith there through the relevant radio app. But you, you, we all have to study. We're not, we're not, when we graduate high school or university or whatever, we're not done. Studying is something that, that continues on for our whole lives. And then he would do some work at his desk. And then he would go to daily mass. So he would, he would do all that stuff, really, before he even started his workday. So very impressive. And on Fridays, what he would do is, if possible, he would pray the entire day in front of the crucifix. Now, I'm sure it wasn't possible all the time, but um, Fridays were something where he really did focus on the death of Jesus Christ. And no doubt that strengthened him for his own martyrdom down the road. Okay, so this is the life of St. Thomas More, who lived in the middle of the world, like you and like me. And he found God in all of these things, his family life, his professional life. But there was a storm brewing on the horizon. And we'll talk about that final season of The Man for All Seasons. Thomas More, right after this break on The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Be right back. faith and how you can live it and share it too it's kale clark on relevant radio hey welcome back to the program 888-914-9149 is the number to call we're talking about today's saint and there's another saint for today as well saint john fisher along with saint thomas more saints of the english reformation there are a lot of them uh, who died uh, during the reign of henry the eighth who separated the church in england from the Church of Rome. And, and St. Thomas More, we're talking about him, truly a man for all seasons. We're talking about his ordinary life, his so-called hidden life, if you will, which wasn't that hidden because he was a pretty major public figure. But we all know about that heroic martyrdom that he suffered. But what about what he was like from day to day in his work and his family life uh, with his friends, with his kids? And talking about him as a parent, and again, there's a great piece, we'll uh, put it in the show notes, by Kevin Parada. And uh, he's a scripture scholar, talked about St. Thomas More, and he talked about his St. Thomas More as a, as a father. And there's so much more to, to this guy than just his martyrdom, no pun intended. He, he, was, he, was, he actually was kind of, a, along with his wife, he, he really set up a homeschool for all of his kids. And he was the guy who really planned the curriculum, uh, set that up. I mean, he was a pretty educated guy, which makes sense. So his, his kids, all the foster kids that were there, 
11 grandchildren eventually he had. They all went there, and Alice was kind of in charge of all that as well, his wife. And he would kind of just be creative with his education. A lot of a lot of parents, uh, heck, a lot of people listening to the show right now have turned to homeschooling over the past few years. So you know what this is like. You've got to be creative. And so he, he was trying to teach his kids Greek. So he invented a game, and, and Thomas More put the letters of the Greek alphabet on an archery target. So they would kind of combine gym class, I guess you could say, archery with Greek. Oh, okay, let's shoot that letter. What is it? You know, oh, okay, it's the letter pi, you know. It's Omicron or whatever. Okay, all right. So now was was also kind of made St. Thomas More a man, not only for all seasons, but a man ahead of his time, was that he thought that his girl's education was just as important as that of his boys. So not a lot of people thought that in his day. His oldest daughter, Margaret, also known as Meg, and he wrote a very poignant letter to her uh, from the Tower of London before he died. Time permitting, I'll share some of that. Um, she was actually totally accomplished. And she, in fact, went on to publish books. And she was a scholar. She wrote books about the faith, kind of devotional stuff. So she was like, whew, she really uh, did uh, become quite a an academic in her own right as well. So when he was away on business and he had to take a lot of trips uh, working for the government, he actually expected that his children write him a letter every day every single day. And that was, wasn't that easy, right? It's not like just texting your dad when he's away on a business trip. <laughs> Daily letters in Latin. Wow, that seems... Come on, Dad, can we just write them in English? No, 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 it's got to be in Latin, and it's got to be perfect style. And at that point, of course, Latin was, was what you did. It was, you had to know a lot of Latin for, um, for a classical education. And he would actually um, write back to them, and he would joke around with them. And again, this is part of his humor. He was talking about how good they were getting his kids at astronomy. And he was, he basically said, Hey, this is amazing. You can point out where the polar star is, where the dog star is, or any of the ordinary stars. And you even learn to distinguish the sun from the moon. Okay. So a little playfulness there from St. Thomas More. And he also taught them that, you know, maybe the, the most important decision, you know, outside of their faith, obviously that they're going to have to make in life is, if God calls them to marriage, who are they going to marry? You've got to marry well. Got to marry really, really well. And uh, Thomas More's son-in-law, I think his name was Roper. Is that, is it Richard Roper? Is that Will Roper? And there was Richard Rich. He was the bad guy. I always thought maybe the Richie Rich comic book was based on that guy. Anyways, that's another story for another day. But um, Richie Rich, yeah, he was uh, another guy who defected along with uh, King Henry VIII to save his own skin. Another story for another day. But Will Roper, yeah, he, he, he figured a lot in that book that we were reading. A lot of great anecdotes about Will Roper and that book by uh, Professor Gerald Wedgemer called uh, Profile and Courage, St. Thomas More. Anyways, um, he said that, look, okay, you got to marry well. You also have to resist the world. And by that, he meant the pride, you know, the, the, the vainglory. I mean, you got to be in the world. The Bible talks about do not love the world, but it doesn't mean don't love the planet or the thing the good things about life it's it's about this worldliness it's life apart from without reference to god and he said look you, you try to be a person of achievement but the real achievement he said is quote to stand fast and firmly stick to god in a time when no one will give you good counsel no one will give you good advice no one will give you good example end of quote 
And very often, you, you can probably relate to this if you're listening and you're a Catholic who tries to be faithful. You might think, I am the only person here. I am. I can identify a lot with St. Thomas More. I need to ask him to pray for me. I'm the only person in my office or my profession who's a practicing Catholic. To everybody else, my faith is a punchline. And, and I, I, there's no one who I can turn to. And, and I have to be somehow this beacon for Christ. And that's exactly what St. Thomas More had, had to do. And... He was like a major figure, even aside from his legal work. Uh, he was he was a great scholar. He he hung out with this guy named Erasmus. I don't know if you've heard of Erasmus, but this guy was like a real heavyweight. He was for, he was a Dutchman who was basically the biggest scholar in Europe at that time. And if you're the biggest scholar in Europe, you're kind of like a rock star. It's not like today. Uh, any professors listening? Yeah, there's no real entourage for you guys. But but back then, like yeah, if he would give a talk, man, it would be packed out. You know, there'd be groupies there. To listen to Erasmus, and Saint Thomas More kind of hung out with him, and he and he started writing books as well. And and the the most famous book that Saint Thomas More wrote was called Utopia. He actually invented that word. I didn't know that. He invented the word Utopia. Now, what's really kind of funny about this? It's an imaginary report about a land that is discovered where people live sensibly. Utopia. So it's an imaginary land where everybody lives sensibly. But here, here's the joke about it, and this is, again, the humor of St. Thomas uh, More. Utopia actually means no place. No place. That's what the word means, no place. It doesn't actually exist. So there is no utopia. And that, that's true in more ways than one. There, there is no utopia in this world. There's always going to be a lot of craziness. There's always going to be sinfulness. There's always going to be people making bad decisions like Henry VIII. And we somehow have to be faithful in it. And so, uh, apparently, in the utopia, there's no lawyers in this imaginary place. And that's kind of funny, because he is a lawyer, so he's allowed to, to poke fun at himself, you know, like Jesus said in the gospel, woe to you lawyers, you know, there's a lot of lawyer jokes, but we need good lawyers out there, like St. Thomas More. And he eventually became, obviously, a big shot lawyer, he was a member of parliament, he became a judge, and he was known as... You can keep Judge Judy. You know, you want Judge Moore on the case because he was very fair. He was very efficient. You get through it. I get through the caseloads really, really quickly and do it, do it really, really well. But then he went into politics. And it was like, man, maybe this isn't a good idea. But he went full-time to work for Henry VIII. And he started off as the personal secretary of Henry VIII. He was on the council, and he eventually became Lord Chancellor. Again, the number two guy under the king, number two in all of England. Now, he didn't, he didn't like a lot of that stuff. He had to travel a lot. It would take him away from home. He would be negotiating stuff, like contracts for the government, all this sort of stuff. And one time, uh, according to um, Kevin Parada, he was uh, on his, sort of on a business trip, and he was... In heavy rain, again, don't forget, this is in the days before the automobile. So heavy rain, he's, his horse is getting stuck in the mud. It's just a disaster. And, he, and he's writing poems to entertain his children back home. And so, and he, and he really, by the way, St. Thomas More really wasn't that fond personally of Henry VIII. He thought he was kind of disingenuous. He, he really didn't trust the guy. He really didn't. And, then he, and the question obviously becomes, well, why would you want to work for this guy? And I have an answer for that, but it's the feast day of St. Thomas More. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. If you can relate to any of this, if you if you strike something and you can call in, give your take, 
9149. So he, he, he was a good judge of character. Again, St. Saint Thomas More was... I, I always have to catch myself. I want, I want to keep wanting to say St. Thomas Aquinas, but no, it's St. Thomas More. So if I say that, I obviously mean St. Thomas More. St. Thomas More was obviously a really good friend. Something that comes out in the book uh, by Wedgemer is, is how good of a friend, so many great anecdotes about how good of a friend he was to people. And it was a great way to share the gospel with people and share the love of God. But he really was a good judge of people's character. And he understood what Henry VIII was all about. And sometimes Henry VIII would sort of drop by Thomas More's house and, you know, hey man, let's go out in the backyard and have a beer, have some mead or something. <laughs> and, and apparently one night, they were, they were kind of walking in the backyard and, and King Henry just kind of puts his arm around St. Thomas More's shoulder. And he, t- and he was just kind of like, hey, you know, you're my guy. You're my guy. You're my number one guy. But then after that, St. Thomas More told his son-in-law, Roper, Will Roper, he said, hey, Will, I have, I know you saw him like, you know, kind of trying to be buddy-buddy with me out there, but I have no doubt that if my head would gain him a single castle in France, my head would go. He would chop off my head just to get a castle in France, just to advance his career. I am under no illusions about who this guy is, what he's really all about. And he's obviously was quite prescient about Henry VIII. And so, again, the question is asked, why in the world would you want to work for this guy? Why not just be a lawyer? Why, why get into politics? And St. Thomas More said, quote, you must not abandon the ship in a storm because you cannot control the winds. You must seek to strive and you must seek and strive to the best of your power to handle matters tactfully. What you cannot turn to good, you must make as little bad as you can. And so he felt like he had a responsibility. And he ha- he did have ambition now, but in a good sense. And I think a lot of people today, a lot of young people today, they don't have any ambition. They don't really want to see how far they can go. They don't really want to test themselves. They want to kind of settle in life. And St. Thomas More said that, you know, as lay people, kind of the world is entrusted to us. So if we don't go for it, if we don't get involved in civil life, if we don't get involved in civil matters, then we're basically like giving everything over to the heathens, right? So we've got to try to, yes, politics can be a dirty business, but if there's no good people in politics, it's going to be even worse. So why not go for it? I I know maybe this, this might sound like a pipe dream to some of you. I often wonder whether if Abraham Lincoln ran for presidency of the United States, could he actually be electable today? I don't, I don't think honest Abe could get elected today, but, but he thought that we have a duty to the culture. We, we have to, to not, not to, to try to self aggrandize, make ourselves famous or wealthy or whatever. So many people use politics to enrich themselves as we know. But it's a sense of duty. That's really what drove him, a sense of duty to his country, a, a properly understood patriotism as a Catholic, but also to his family, to society as a whole. And, and this is so against, and, and, and Parada talks about this in his article, it's so against the way people think today about they want to follow their dreams, follow their passions. But he, Thomas is all about fulfilling his duty. And, and so much I could say about this, but we were kind of running out of time on that, so... But that, that's, that's why he did it. That's really why he did it. But he didn't know that Henry was a big problem. He was going, 
He's trying to start all these wars that were not necessary. He also knew that he was kind of dabbling with the Protestant religion and thinking about thinking about making the leap. And he was like, oh, don't do it, don't do it. But of course, uh, we know that uh, that he did. And so, let me just uh, say something that St. Thomas Aquinas wrote about death. This is while he was in the court of Henry VIII. He said, look, you have to understand that yeah, a lot of people are tempted in this realm for pride, money, greed, envy, whatever. He kept reminding himself, life is short. You know, eternity is forever. Eternity is forever. So every problem that he had, he would look at it in the light of the final judgment of God. And so whew, there's, a, there's a verse in the book of Sirach, the wisdom of Ben Sirach, uh, chapter 7, verse 36. In all you do, remember the end of your life. And then you will never sin. We just thought about that more often. We could avoid a lot of problems. And so he said, quote, death should never be seen as a thing far off. Life will end soon enough. Each of us will have to give an account. It makes sense then to keep asking, am I living in such a way as to enter into eternal life with God? And so again, let's just talk briefly about that, that last season of his life, his martyrdom. He, even Thomas More, a lot of his friends and family did not get it. They, why are you being so obstinate about this? Just, just go along with it. Just cross your fingers behind your back and say, yeah, 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 he's the head of the... But in your heart, you can still say, no, I'm a Catholic. And he said, no, it's not going to work. And, and every night, he was actually tormented by future. You know, the, what, what might happen. You know, it's hard to live in the moment when you know like, there's a really good chance you're going to be tortured to death. So he would think about being tortured every night, he was afraid that he was going to give in and he was going to capitulate and he was going to not be able to be faithful to the end. And there's this famous letter where he writes to his daughter Megs, like basically saying, I want to be like Peter because I feel like I'm going to sink and I need Jesus to reach out and grab me and, and just keep me strong, keep me faithful because I'm drowning here. And so, and he did get that strength from God. And again, there's this great cheerfulness, even, even on the gallows. <laughs> He was climbing up the scaffold. He was going to be beheaded. And the executioner was, was he knew what a big deal this guy was. He was a number two guy and he knew his integrity and he, he was, he was shaking. He was, he was, he didn't want to do it. And St. Thomas More said to the executioner, Hey, you got to help me up these steps. I'll take care of coming down. I can do that on my own, but, but yeah, you'll see something come tumbling down probably my head, but, but he had like at least three jokes at the guillotine. He said, Hey, listen, I've been growing this beard in the prison. I, I'm kind of proud of it. Like he's kind of like all these bros with beards today. He's like, just just make sure when you chop me, just 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 don't cut off the beard, okay? It's a really nice beard. And he also said, apparently, you know, hey, let's make it a clean cut. I don't want you to lose your professional reputation. I mean, you can only joke like that if you're absolutely confident in Jesus Christ and where you're going five seconds after this moment, for all eternity, for all eternity. And so. I just find St. Thomas More such an incredible inspiration, and I'm sure that you guys do as well. Let's go to the phones right now. Paul in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Paul. Yes. I read somewhere, uh, not that I'm that big a reader, I'm not, but anyway, I read somewhere that the king had put Thomas More in, what was it, the tower, I guess it was, not to behead him because he was mad at him for something, and one day the king yelled out, will someone ever, because Thomas More kept saying some of these things, you know, that the king didn't like, 
Mm-hmm. And the king yelled out in frustration, will someone ever rid me, rid me of this eternal, I think his uh, said lawyer or whatever term he used. Mm-hmm. So se- several of the king's men took him out of the tower, ran him down and chopped his head off. And that's how he died. So tell me about that. <laughs> you know, I, I can't. I, I don't know anything about that. I, you know, maybe if there's a, um, I'll have to look that up. I've never heard that before, uh, and I, I am not a, a Thomas More scholar by by any stretch of the imagination. I, I need to learn much more uh, about his life. And like I said, that uh, that book that we read during the retreat, I really, really enjoyed that. I want to get a copy. I want to want to learn more. So I don't know. Maybe there's some Thomas More aficionados out there, and call in if you know anything about that anecdote because I've never heard that before, but. But hey, Paul, thank, thank you so much for listening, for calling. Call back anytime, 888-914-9149. It's K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Producer Jim, you ever heard that story before? You've at least seen the movie. So yeah, I, I, have I, I haven't even movie. seen the movie. You do yourself a favor and see the movie, but <laughs> I have not heard that story. Okay, all right. That all right, doesn't well. mean it's not true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, So we'll, we'll check it out. We'll check it out. And uh, let's go now to Ed in Rossendale, New York. Hi, Ed. Hi. I hadn't heard. I, in fact, I just missed this, the uh, story, so maybe I'll repeat it briefly, What uh, you know, the previous caller. But I'm calling to say that um, when you, I didn't know that Thomas More wrote Utopia and that he coined the phrase or the word Utopia, mm-hmm. but I recalled uh, a professor of English at a college where I went to and somewhat just a short thing is not prone to cliche, but he said, utopia is gulag. And um, so it's not only nowhere, but it's something worse than nowhere. Gulag. Oh, or wow. equal okay. Interesting. To nowhere. Interesting. I don't know really what gulag is, but it's supposed to be a prison or something. Uh, that's uh, all I have to say is, is um, recalling. Well, I did. A, a I did. Well, thank you, thank you, Ed. I, I didn't, I didn't know that. If, if that, that maybe that is true. That, that, that etymologically, uh, utopia can also mean gulag. I don't know that. I, but um, a gulag is not where you want to go. <laughs> that's for sure. And uh, hey, well, we're going to try to squeeze in one more call here before the break. But if you do want to call in, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. All right, let's go to Helen in Pennsylvania. Helen, I think you might have an answer for our, for our query here. Uh, yes, uh, that's from a, a movie uh, about uh, Henry II and Thomas a Becket. Thomas a Becket, uh, okay. Yep, yeah. Peter O'Toole played Henry II, and Richard Burton played um, played Thomas a Becket. And uh, Thomas a Becket would not knuckle under to Henry, and Henry said to his his men who were in court with him, "Will someone rid me of this?" Pest or whatever they called him. Mm-hmm. So, so he's mixing up two different movies: two Thomases and two Henrys. <laughs> two Thomases and two Henrys. Okay. Well, that, thank you for clarifying that, Helen. Really appreciate that. That was Helen in Pennsylvania. So we need you guys to be fact checkers for us for sure. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Okay. So you can call in. You can weigh in on that. You can weigh in on St. Thomas More. We need more Christianity. That's uh, that's a pun. That's actually the title of a book, actually, by a convert from Anglicanism. Uh, it's kind of a play on Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, More Christian. Now, it's not about St. Thomas More, but it's about how the Catholic faith has so much more than just mere Christianity. And uh, that's um, Father Richard Longnecker. Um, uh, is it Father Dwight Leno? Father Dwight Longnecker, I think, wrote that one. I think I, was, um, I, I need fact checkers tonight. 
I'm kind of discombobulated, I can tell you that. But anyway, it's a good book. Not about St. Thomas More. That's a pun. We need more Christianity. We need to be like St. Thomas More for sure. But when we come back, here's a question for you. And this is what Father Rocky sent me. This is the article I want to share with you. Do you think that airlines should institute a dress code? You've heard about all the problems, all the fights on airplanes recently. Should they institute a dress code? Would it help? I want your take on this. 888-914-9149. Faith, Facts, and Fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. This is the Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E, or email the show, Kale, C-A-L-E at RelevantRadio.com. Send me a show idea, be a shadow producer. Father Rocky did, the CEO of Relevant Radio. He'll be along later for the Family Rosary Across America, as he always is. As he likes to say, if I don't show up, why should you show up? So he always does. And he sent me this article from USA Today, uh, written by Chris Elliott. Not the comedian Chris Elliott, who, by the way, I think was hysterical back in the day. He used to always appear on Letterman. He, uh, uh, why was I up late at night in high school watching David Letterman? Well, I shouldn't have been, but I was. And he always made me laugh. But having said that, um, not to everyone's taste, but not that Chris Elliott. Another guy named Chris Elliott wrote a piece for USA Today about why we need a dress code when we fly on the airlines. I don't know what you think about this, but... There has been, a, there have been, if you, if you ever watch the internet, if you, you've probably seen some video of, of a fight on an airplane or somebody being unruly. Heck, the other day a guy opened the, the plane door while it was still flying. That was not cool. Uh, it, there's all kinds of shenanigans that happen on planes. And maybe part of the reason is the way that people are dressed. Now, now think about that. So apparently when you, when you get your ticket, there's, you know, in, in the fine print, it says that you cannot board the airplane with bare feet or patently offensive clothing, okay? Uh, but, there, but there really is no standard dress code outside of that. But a lot of cu- customers, a lot of airline passengers would love for that to happen. Um, one a person who was interviewed in this piece was a, an executive coach from Palm Beach named Jane who said air travelers would contribute to an overall pleasant and positive travel experience for themselves, the crew, and their fellow passengers. So have you ever seen this happening? Have you ever seen an altercation on a plane? Have you ever caused an altercation on a plane? If you want to admit that, if you want to confess that, you can call in right now, 888 I can't absolve you from it, but you can still tell us the story. 888 right, so why would you want a dress code? Well, there is a link. There seems to be a link. Passengers believe this. Psychologists even believe this, that if people dress up for their flight, they will be automatically more respectful, less likely to lash out or behave unprofessionally. Now, over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, unruly, unruly passenger incidents were up 37% in 2022. So um, the Transport Association says that there was one unruly incident for every 568 flights last year. And that's up from one every 835 back in 2021. So that's, that's quite a, an increase in the number of incidents. And uh, there's a psychology professor from Santa Clara named Thomas Plant, uh, Robert Plant's brother. No, he's not, but he, um, he, he is a psychologist. Um, 
I don't know whether he delves into the psychology of Led Zeppelin or not, but he did say, hey, a dress code would help. When people dress better, they tend to behave better. And I think that's true. And that's why I'm a, I'm a fan of school uniforms. I, I just think it kind of makes students more professional. Like, I'm here to learn. My job is to learn. I'm going to try to do it to the best of my ability. If you're dressed like a slob, I, I don't know. I, it, I maybe, maybe you think I'm being too tough here. Maybe you think that it doesn't matter. You can still do a good job if you're in your pajamas at home working for home. Yeah, that's probably true. Maybe, I don't know. What do you think? It, but here's the other thing, too. People, people will, not only might it improve your own behavior on the plane, but they, there might be something in this for you, too, because guess what? I, I think it's anecdotal, but I think it's certainly true. There, there's, some, there's some flight attendants and people that are quoted in, in, the, um, in the piece, basically, who say that if you're dressed well, you're more likely to get an upgrade. If you're polite to the staff on the plane, you're more likely to get treated well. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm not saying they won't serve you if you're not nice, but they have to do their job. But, but if you're being offensive, if you're, uh, don't take your shoes off on the plane. That's, I think that should be, that should be standard, you know, bare, bare minimum here. Um, one of the pilots quoted a guy named Ken Schultz, uh, in the, in the piece said, well-dressed people never cause drama on a flight. And every pilot notices this. Because every time there's an incident of bad behavior, it gets reported to the flight deck. And it's always people, he says, who look like they just rolled out of bed. So I don't know. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think about this? 888-914-9149. My thanks to Father Rocky for sending that. Let's go to Mary in Oak Lawn, Illinois. Hey, Mary. Hi, I'm living in Oak Lawn, Illinois. <laughs> oh, what did I say? Did I say something else? I thought you, I thought you missed. It missed the first did, did I, I? I may have. I've gotten a few things wrong tonight, but thanks for calling in. I called in. Yeah. No, I, I called in about Thomas Moore. He's a yes. favorite of mine too, and um, he he his friends who had already signed the decree uh, that Henry VIII wanted them to sign about his uh, control over the church. Came to that, came to him and said, "Just sign it, you know, hmm. and you know, and, and just forget about it." And he said, "Oh, will you be with me in hell when I go there because I went <laughs> against my conscience?" And that was it with him. It was his conscience. He wow. was so conscientious. He didn't even include his wife or his his favorite daughter. And any of the things he was going through, because that way they couldn't say anything. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe he was afraid that they tried to talk him out of it, and he was like, "I, I love them so much; they they might actually prevail upon me." So I want to just eliminate that possibility. Um, yeah, that, that's it's so true, and so many people did do that. They they just betrayed the faith and uh, to save their own skin. But you know, at the end of the day. Um, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500,000, 2,000 years from now, eternity will all still be in eternity. And so we'll have to have to reckon with this. Mary, thank you so much uh, for that call from Oaklawn, Illinois. Call back anytime. Did we lose um, the mayor guy? Oh, he's gone. Okay. Mayor McCheese was on the line. No, it was, a, it was a different guy who was a mayor, and he wanted to talk about what life was like for him in politics. And it was really interesting. So call back. I think his name was Rick. Rick, the mayor, call back. All right, let's go to Neil in St. Petersburg. Hi, Neil. Hey, good evening. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for the call. Well, 
I really believe that we that the airline should have a dress code. You know, back mm-hmm. in the day, it used to have a dress code, and people yes, would dress up for the airlines. It's a big deal. However, I firmly believe that before the airlines establishes a dress code, that the Catholic Church should establish a dress code for participants in Sunday Mass. I can't say I disagree with you there. <laughs> yeah, you see a lot of funny stuff at Sunday Mass. Um, and, and again, people often say, well, you know, don't, you know, I can wear whatever I want because Scripture says God looks at the heart. And that's true. There's no question about it. The Lord, man looks at the outward appearance and women look at the outward appearance, but but the Lord looks at the heart. That That is true. But everybody else is looking at what you're wearing and the message you're conveying is very often, this isn't very important to me. Or, I, I don't know. I mean, again, it's very hard to, you're not, I, I don't envy pastors because it's, you don't know what somebody's intent is, but, but having said that, when you go to, when you go to the, the famous shrines of Europe, for example, in Rome or other places, you cannot get in there. Most places with, you know, shorts or uh, ladies have to cover their shoulders even and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Again, it's it, you're conveying what you think of the situation. Um, a friend of mine once, like he was going to wear jeans to a funeral. I'm like, why don't wear, don't wear your jeans, man? That's it's terrible. It's 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 disrespectful. Why? Why these are nice jeans, man? If you know how much I pay for these jeans, I know they have holes in them, but that's the style. No, 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 it's not cool, man. Put on a pair of slacks, dude. Uh, yeah, I, I I I can't say I disagree with that, Neil. That's um. That is true. That is true. And, uh, um, man, we are out of time. I cannot believe it. I can't believe it. And I wish I could have gotten some more calls in. Tom in Chicago wanted to say that had a school uniform in high school. And after that, they took away the dress code. Things were less disciplined. I, I'm not surprised by that. I'm not surprised by that. James in Albuquerque wanted to say that, hey, if there's no standards for clothing, it's a sign of the demise of society. Yeah, well... It could be, and uh, I don't know, man. We, we need a renaissance, if you will. We need to become renaissance men and women like St. Thomas More. Hey, he dressed well. He had robes. I'm not saying wear robes, but dress well. Anyways, glad you guys could join me today. Jim Shaper produced Patrick Alog took your phone calls. We'll be back tomorrow. Call back again. Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.